Hello, welcome to Health on the Line. Thank you for the great response we had to our first episode with Rob Webster. Please do give us feedback, or even better, leave a review in your podcast app. Now, how would you feel as an employee of a big organisation, say 4,000 people, if you got a personal, handwritten thank you note from the chief executive? Imagine if you told your friend at work about it, and they said, well, that's amazing, because I got one too. And then another workmate said, me too. Eventually, you work out that the chief executive had written those notes individually to all 4,000 of your colleagues. What would that say to you about that chief executive and about the organisation you work for? Let's find out. New ideas. Big debates. Meeting the changemakers. Transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor, and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. I'm delighted to be joined by Ifti Majid. Ifti has been the Chief Executive of Derbyshire Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust for almost four years, and in addition to many other roles, is also co-chair of the NHS Confederation's BME Leadership Network. Hi, Ifti, how are you? Yes, I'm very well. Um, Hello, uh, Matthew. Before we talk about that letter and what it says about you and leadership in general, how are things in Derbyshire right now? How's it going? Well, I, th- I think probably in, in common with with lots of other organisations up and up and down the country, uh, it, it's really busy in terms of uh, the ongoing managing of the uh, COVID pandemic and um, the extra requirements that that puts on on all of us, all all colleagues in the organisation, and and actually probably. Uh, as much the the worry, the anxiety, the tiredness that goes with that, rather than you know, actually we have relatively few colleagues away with uh, with with COVID and 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 few patients. Uh, but I think it's that uh, the the emotional length of time we've been doing this, um, and then and then secondly, of course, we're dealing with with really increased demand in uh, the sector that we work in. So it's it's a, a tough time for everybody, Matthew. So on the day that we're having this conversation, if the uh, Confederation and NHS providers have, have jointly uh, identified the need for £10 billion extra to deal with those ongoing COVID costs that you described, but also to deal with, to deal with the backlog, um, there, there is a gap, isn't there? There is a resourcing gap. And if the government doesn't put more money in to help us deal with the ongoing effects of COVID and to deal with that backlog the pressure you describe is simply going to grow, isn't it? I would start with saying we're a people business, aren't we? And yeah, before we start to talk about recovering services, before we start to talk about dealing with the backlog, we have to deal with um, how our colleagues are feeling. Uh, we have to deal with, you know, the emotional response to what has been a, a trauma and that in itself will take resources. Um, you know, it is great, isn't it, that we we have uh, hubs looking after colleagues or working uh, with colleagues and supporting their mental health and well-being uh, throughout the country, and that and that's a great start. Um, but you know, we have colleagues who've taken who've not had uh, restorative rest. You know, who've not taken as much annual leave as they should have taken. We've we've had colleagues who've who've kept going, kept delivering services throughout this whole period of time. So we need to think about them first. 
And then you're absolutely right. We need to then think about the population we serve. How do we uh, work together to sort of restore services, uh, deal with with waiting lists? Um, it, it is about resources, but I think it's also about learning the lessons, Matthew. I think it's also about how do we work differently? How do we use the the things that have grown uh, positively out of the last 18 months. I, I want to explore that, but but let, I want to ask a question, you question if I asked Rob Webster, which was the, the, the growth in demand. Now, now obviously, the, a lot of this is to do with COVID, to do with the fact that people didn't go to the doctor, didn't get treatment during COVID, weren't able to get into hospital or whatever. But do you think there's something else going on? Do you, do you think there's some other reason why we're seeing growing demand in almost all parts of the health service. Well, I think it's a really it's a really interesting question, and I and I think this is linked to a societal response to an enormous um, event that has happened in people's lives. You know, if, if we think about traumas, traumas often impact on a a part of your life, don't they? Um, but actually, for nearly everybody uh, in the country, uh, everybody globally, actually, this this pandemic is something that has hit. You know, it's hit our our employment lives. It's hit the things that we do to to to, to rest and and recuperate. It's impacted on our family lives and our family relationships. Nearly everybody has suffered loss of some description or another. That has to have an impact on our health and well-being, doesn't it? And I think that's why we're seeing uh, this uh, this increase in demand. There is a huge link, isn't there, between um, emotions and emotional response to something and our physical health response to it. It, it, it suggests to me that part of what we need to be doing is having a wider conversation about the foundations for health uh, and well-being. And maybe we can come on to that in a second, Ifty. But let, let's go back to those 4,000 letters uh, that you wrote what, tell me why you why you did that for, for me it's it, it's a wider concept about what makes our what makes our services work well and what makes our services work well is is the colleagues that uh, come together every day to deliver those services and and it, and it struck me i mean through, throughout the pandemic as an organisation, um, we have um, really worked hard to engage colleagues in the organisation to to hear what it's felt like, and and it struck us, or it certainly struck me, that there are, you know, appreciation was something is something that uh, through a time of of pressure and stress is something that's really really important, and um, you know, we we did lots of. Um, uh, engagement we call them live engagement events where where you know i would meet either the whole organization or well it would be open to the whole organization or or to our different divisions and and i found myself saying thank you an awful lot uh, during those sessions and um you know as we were heading heading towards uh, sort of christmas uh, i thought you know what i need to, what i really want to do is to be able to say thank you individually to people 
and I was obviously being quite careful about going out and about. Um, and so, so jotting a personal note to colleagues seemed a logical thing to do. You know, I think one of the things that made it easier is that we're a, a small to medium organisation. I've worked here for a long time, so uh, I, you know, I knew a lot, knew and know a lot of people. So actually, as I started writing these these notes out to people, um, it, it, it became you know just like when you're writing a letter, you put some personal touches in because you know people. Um, and, and it was a great pleasure. I have to say it made the end of my year, what had been a difficult year, was just having that sense of connection with, uh, with, with colleagues. And, and I suppose one of the biggest lessons I learned was that what COVID does is it amplifies the culture that you've got in place or that was in place prior to COVID. I think, you know, if you had a culture that was sort of top-down, closed, fear of speaking up, then during a a period of stress, then that gets amplified, doesn't it? And And prior to COVID, you know, we were starting to do these things. You know, we, we had an open organisation. We had lots of, of conversations within the organisation. We tended to think out loud as an organisation. It felt like we were well connected. And so that was the culture that we carried with us, that sort of people first focus. So, so it felt a natural thing to do, to want to connect with people. When I heard what you've done, Ifti, I, I liked it on so, so many levels. It, it, it says a lot about you and your leadership style, but also I think you put vouchers with your your letters, but actually, it was the letter that people cared more about than 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 the voucher, and also that you know. I guess if you're a kind of cold rationalist approach, you might say, well, you know, a chief executive like you spending your weekends writing these notes, well, you could have been poring over a spreadsheet, you could have been thinking about your medium term strategy, and 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 actually, you know, it reminds me. Um, because I've been a leader in various ways throughout my career, of the symbolism of leadership, that, that leadership is an art, it's not a science. And there are these moments when symbols, as long as they're authentic, they're saying something real, they're not just artifact, they're not just kind of uh, kind of artificial ways of trying to pretend you care, but they, they, they really symbolize something. Symbolism is a really important part of leadership, isn't it, FD? You use the word authentic, uh, Matthew, and I and I think that symbolism uh, falls down if it if it isn't uh, part of an of an authentic response to a to a situation or uh, to to a way of leading or managing uh, an an organisation. And there there is no doubt that you know the things that 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 I was doing, the way that I was engaging with colleagues in in the run up to sending um, the the letter to everybody or the note to everybody, um, you know, had I not done that, then uh, sending a a note would have looked like it, it would have stood out like a sore thumb. Um, so, so it has to sit within a, a an authentic approach. It has to sit in an approach when people get it. They think, "Well, I can, I can see if you're doing that. I can understand why why he did it." Um, and and you are quite you are quite right. It it was something that was talked a lot about in the organisation, not for the fact that we'd given everybody a voucher to to treat themselves before Christmas to say thank you, but but uh, be- because of the uh, the personal contact. 
you know. And um, but y- y- we do that in different ways as well, don't we, as chief execs and and authentic leaders? So you know, I know myself, like many other chief execs, I I do a, a video sort of blog every Friday, and I do a written blog on a Monday. And um, you know, every week I, I get people coming back and commenting on. Uh, what I've said and it creates a, a bond doesn't it between you as a leader and uh, colleagues uh, within the organization that you're leading and I think that bond is really important and you have to give something of yourself because if you make a connection then the message is to do with the strategy that you referenced earlier the message is to do with how you want to support risks to be managed in the organization those things then get picked up because you have that personal connection. Uh, if do you, you, you said earlier that you felt in various ways the way in which we had to respond to covid uh, had led us to to do things differently i i don't know if you agree if but but i think it's important at this point that the organizations systematically think about the ways in which they responded to covid and go through a process of kind of working out what are the things that that we don't need to do anymore because they're no longer relevant. But what are the things we we want to to retain? Because the danger is we'll we'll move into a new normal, and we won't reflect on the learning that has taken place, and we won't reflect on what we do and what we don't want to to retain. So it, it's important to be having this conversation. Isn't it? Well, I think it is important to be having this conversation. You're quite right. There are there are things that um, that we need to do differently, and and I think that there have been things that have worked less well. Um, I'll, I'll come on to those in a minute, or certainly come on to one of those that I've noticed uh, in a, in a minute. I think. So, so use of digital both for colleagues, but but also, you know, we we've had some really positive uh, feedback from uh, people who use our services, from from patients about uh, attend anywhere and and sort of um, uh, non face to face contact. So there is a a piece of work to do uh, clinically to understand um, how do we how do we engage with with people who use our services. Um, I, I think that's um, um, something that we 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 certainly need to think more about and you and you you mentioned if something that hasn't worked so well i'm when you say that i'm delighted that you say it in the sense that one of the things that i found interesting coming into the nhs from the outside is that there's a reticence about being open about things that don't work things that aren't quite right i think people fear that to admit that will get you being criticized from the center or being a I don't know, lambasted in the local press or whatever it might be. So it, it's great to share things that don't quite work. So wh- wh- what were you going to talk about there? Well, we've been, yeah, for 18 months, we've been in a, you know, you might call it an elongated incident management approach. And with that goes some level of centralization. And we now need to think about, um, you know, how do we get back to a, a position of, of devolved responsibility and accountability? How do we get back to using uh, governance mechanisms and um, that we make decisions uh, at a level that's much closer to to the front line? So if you mentioned governance, and I want to come back to that in a moment, but just before I do, I just want to talk a little bit about about you and your your career. I think you started out in the health service just down the road from where I'm speaking to you in, in South London at St. George's. And another thing that's kind of hit me about coming into the health service from outside is 
so many managers, so many leaders, the vast majority are kind of NHS lifers, and you know they started at the at the front line of, of patient care. Now, in one way, that's an immense strength because it means that when you speak to colleagues, you know the job that they've done; they know that you understand that. Do you think there are any downsides as well about the fact that that overwhelmingly NHS leaders are people who've spent most of if not their whole life within the NHS, uh, uh, without, without without doubt, and what, one of the main things is uh, for, for for people like me is um, to surround myself with 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 people who have different ideas that have got experience from from different sectors. You know, one of the downsides is that you know through the NHS we can get caught up in thinking in the same way. Uh, you know, it, it takes uh, a style of leadership uh, and, and a confidence of leadership to, to to look for difference. And 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 I think that's something that I've learned that that I work better in a you know in an exec team where people have different and have had different experiences. And I, and I think I've also learned uh, as an executive and as a chief executive of the of the power of our non-execs, because whilst you say. Um, you know, many executives are NHS lifers. That is is certainly not the case for our for, for half of our boards for our, for our non execs, and and we need to listen. Uh, we need to learn from from our non exec colleagues. Well, that, that takes us back to this issue of governance, and you've you've written and said quite a lot about about boards. What, what kind of conclusions have you drawn through your career? Ifty about what are the characteristics of effective boards and. And also, is this part of this kind of challenge of COVID that that during COVID boards, I think, have been really involved in the kind of day to day, making sure that things are holding together. And in a way, maybe maybe boards are going to have to step back a little bit and be slightly more strategic. Well, I think I think you've hit the the nail on the head. I think that the role of successful boards is about under, under, understanding the environments that we're operating in, uh, defining the strategy, understanding the risks to the delivery of that of that of that strategy, um, and and really importantly, setting the tone, setting the culture of the organisation to to deliver that strategy. And and actually, you know, over the last eighteen months, what we you know you could argue that the strategy has been set. By the by, the uh, by the government, by the department, uh, and NHS England, and what boards have been doing is monitoring whether that strategy has been delivered, as opposed to to, to, to setting it themselves. But I, but I, one of the things I would say is that I think throughout that process, the responsibility of boards to uh, set set the culture, be be really clear about um, the 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 how of the organisation. Uh, how the organization operates is something that 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 has to have still been there uh, something that we we as a board have, have, have talked an, an awful lot about so there, there, there are the things that are often discussed which which are which are around the strategy around around risk management uh, and the role of boards there the role of boards in in the developing ics structures and and some you know interesting and challenging conversations that we're all going to have there but but for me the bit that you know we need to be focusing on as boards is 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 the culture and the culture of course is all set set and driven by relationships that 
that is the important thing for me in terms of thinking about well how is that how is that um, a culture cascaded down through a through an organization um, because if a board's not doing it how you know how can we expect teams to do it how can we expect services to do it and how important in that is that is the diversity of the board if which is another issue that you've been involved in and that we've been working on you know we're through the nhs confederation is trying to have more diverse more broadly representative boards how, how important is that as part of the story of effective boards well it, it, it's massive isn't it and 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 you have to go back to you know one of the core responsibilities that we have as as um, leaders sitting around the board table is to to give our local communities confidence in us as the the most senior leadership team you know uh, that we can um, uh, create and deliver services that are uh, culturally accessible culturally relevant um, to them how are we going to do that if if we're not representative of our local communities Um, for for me I've started to think about the the approach to diversity as being um, uh, like a pyramid really that that there are a range of core tactical strategies that we need to deploy that's the base of the pyramid Um, so you know there's a do do we have um, uh, clear processes and procedures in place uh, that uh, that support support diversity Um, you know, there's then the middle of the pyramid, which is about how you cascade that ownership throughout the organisation. And, um, you know, there is something here about about visibility. Um, there is something here about, about representation. But there's also, there's also something here about cultural awareness or cultural understanding. And, and I think those two levels, of, you know, if, if, you, if you look at... Um, uh, the Fenton report. If if you if you look at the report uh, from uh, King's Fund and Health Observatory recently, I think that 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 those reports talk to those levels. The the bit at the very top of the pyramid, if you like, the bit that holds the sides together that gives the structure is the is is the culture, and that is set by the board. So I so 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 it's part of a it's part of an overarching strategy. Um, to, to deliver the um, to, to, to deliver uh, difference within within the organization and if we if we recognize that if we want to to look for difference in our senior leadership if we want to to be more representative that means doing things differently that that means starting our you know when we think about recruitment it's it's not just about who sits on the final panel you know it's right back to uh, seeking advice so you know we seek advice and guidance from our for example from our bme network about uh the uh the chair's job description that we've put out to test out whether or not we're accidentally excluding people by the way that we describe the requirements you have to think so you have to think differently right from the very start you know about how you describe the job how you um uh, advertise the job and then really importantly uh, what your interview process is how you engage the uh, uh, members of the local community in that in that interview process and uh, you know out, out of our last four board appointments uh, three of three of those have uh, been members of our bme community 
and uh, and I understand that uh, we are now uh, the only organisation in the country with a, a BME chief executive and chair. Well, that takes me to, to to ask you to reflect on on the change that's happened throughout your career. So I'm assuming that when you started, you had to confront racism that you mm. went then through a period when people felt that as it were merely not being racist would be enough to solve the problem to a growing recognition of the need to be much more proactive do you feel if t that the 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 corner has been turned in a sense that we do now the nhs as a whole does understand does get what is involved to be truly diverse and to see diversity as as, as a strength or do you still think there's further to go on the journey uh, well, I think it's an and and actually. Um, so th- there is there is no doubt that um, you know c- COVID, the last eighteen months have have shone a light on on health inequalities um, and um, the role that discrimination plays in in health inequalities. I think that is 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 clear and certain. Um, we we have more information than we've ever had before, and and in particular, you know, I'm drawn again to uh, Kevin Fenton's report, uh, sort of uh, fairly early on in in the pandemic, that was quite clear about responsibilities, and 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 later the uh, the Observatory Kings Fund re- report, which which I think talks to. Uh, the practicalities, the tactical things that we should be doing. I think what's less talked about is the cultural responsibility, the, the, the responsibility of boards to bring about cultural change. I think I think that is something that is is less talked about. And my worry is that without boards taking that personal accountability and personal responsibility. That, that actually the sustainability of of the the impacts described in in the reports I've mentioned won't be realised, and we have this opportunity now as we construct ICS boards. Um, tell me if if the, particularly from a kind of Derbyshire perspective, what are your hopes and what are your fears around the ICS agenda? Uh, the, the hopes um, for me are all about you know remembering what we're in this for we're, we're, we're in this to um to, to keep our populations uh, well and to uh, support them when they are unwell and to to to, to improve their, their their sort of overall health so i think the way that we are setting ics is up with a a focus on local populations is really good it's definitely something that we should be applauding I talked earlier about the need to um, recognise that you know our role as as leaders in a system is about understanding our and 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 connecting with our local populations, in particular our local diverse populations. And again, I think that the the way that we're setting up our new systems gives us the opportunity to do that. Um, there are risks, you know. What one of the things I worry most about is that whenever you go through a reorganisation, um, you know, the evidence is that the level of diversity in your leadership drops, um, and that is something that we have to be really, really mindful of and really careful of, and be, be, you know, specifically uh, set out to ensure that 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 doesn't happen. 
And one of the really big issues is going to be about the relationship between the health service and local authorities and getting that right. And as I talk to people around the country, that seems to be one of the really big variables. How strong are the relationships that, that, that exist in Derbyshire and how important to the future of the ICS agenda is going to be getting those relationships between health leaders and local authority leaders right? Well, I think uh, I think we're very lucky in Derbyshire because we 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 have good relationships between um, uh, sort of health leaders and uh, leaders in the local authority. Um, th- those relationships tend to be around social care because I think that I think those are the uh, that they're, they're the pathways that we inevitably gravitate towards um i think that some of the policy can uh, can just can and, and has in the past driven a potential wedge between uh, health and and the local authority and and particularly i think where we're where we're driving a a sort of nhs performance structure uh, maybe through regions and, and and nationally that tends to tends to naturally focus on on health and the accountability of health leaders and and sets the local authority leaders to the side so i think the key going forward is how we make those accountability conversations relevant to our our colleagues in the local authority so that they engage in them i think i think there's a real benefit for us in doing that so final question, Ifti, we started talking about your style as an organisational leader. We're ending up talking more about system leadership. What, what do you see as the difference between organisational and system leadership? And, and in a sense, thinking of your own kind of leadership journey, as you start to, to think of yourself more as a system leader, potentially, what is, what is the learning that you, you, you've been, you're able to use when you start to think about that different kind of challenge? It's really interesting, isn't it? Uh, because there is there is something about um, when you're when you're working cross uh, organisational, you're 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 working in the system. You know the the positional power that you have as as the chief executive or as a senior leader in your own organisation isn't isn't there or is is diminished. So so actually, it rely you this this relies on um, you know how how well we build relationships uh, across the system as leaders about how well we're able to influence and and how we develop and use our influencing skills um and i and i think it also relies on our willingness to engage in areas that maybe aren't within our you know uh, uh, sort of statutory sphere of responsibility so Collaboration is a is a word that that fe- is featuring such a lot in the development of, of of ICSs, and I think it's something that we say really quickly, uh, without realizing um, what a, what a skill it is actually, and and that it's something that we need to to work really hard on as as leaders, um, because um, we you know we are we have all been. Uh, brought up currently as leaders in the NHS to uh, to to have a level of of, of, of almost of, to be competitive, you know, as providers, you know, uh, something that we've done for years is to throw bricks at commissioners and talk about services not being funded, and you know, this responsibility is not mine. You know, we do it, but we've not been given the resources to do it, and you know, those sorts of conversations are are how we've been schooled, and actually, 
the whole concept of collaboration is that we're taking that rep- responsibility and accountability ourselves um, for things that maybe don't sit within our portfolios. That That's a very different approach that we need to be taking. I think that's such a powerful point, Ifti. And if we're going to make this ICS agenda work, it is going to require us to understand the very different leadership skills that are required. My own thought in this area is that is that the thing that system leadership requires is the definition very concretely of the value added that hmm. system working will provide. When you're an organizational leader, of course you 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 work very hard to do everything you can, but in a way you don't need a proposition. You just need to run the organization really well. But system leadership means identifying the thing that working as a system is going to bring that isn't there. And that needs to be very specific to every circumstance. Uh, if it's been great talking to you i look forward to seeing you again soon and uh, and good luck thank you very much you've been listening to health on the line from the nhs confederation visit nhsconfed.org for more information about us and to register for events and webinars that delve deeper into the issues explored in this podcast and save the date for nhs confed expo the premier event in the health and care calendar taking place on the 15th and 16th of June 2022 in Liverpool.